a lot of the old ideas are just proving not to be true at all. I mean, they're, they're not working. And so whether it be denominations or other churches, networks, I just feel like collectively right now in this moment in 2019, the imagination and practice of what the church is, is effectively up for grabs. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. What up, folks? This is Leroy Barber with the Sit Up Podcast, and you know we are thankful for you, thankful for you following along and being a part of this journey with us. You know you can hit us up on Facebook at Sit Up Podcast, at Leroy Barber uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, and or on my Facebook. And there, we like to kick it around with you a little bit, ask some questions, shoot out some other topics that you'd like to hear about. We kind of we kind of let these topics emerge out of what's happening around us. So um, if there's something happening that you like us to get an interview done with somebody working in that space. We'd love to hear from you. Today's interview uh, is going to be with Tim Sorens. Tim Sorens is uh, a friend. And, you know, I love I love this work because I love getting to interview my friends and kind of hearing hearing what they're doing. Tim Sorens is with the Paris Collective, and the Paris Collective is also partnering with the United Methodist Church out here in the greater Northwest area, uh, and we're doing some great work together. We have done some revivals together. There'll be some learning communities uh, rolling out here in the next couple of months. The uh, Inhabit Conference is also a big part of the Parish Collective, and that is happening May 25th and 26th, and we're going to have a bunch of leaders of color uh, headed to the Inhabit Conference. Also, we got our boy Melvin Bray from Atlanta coming out to do uh, a pre-conference for the United Methodists on that Thursday. So you need to you need to you need to jump in uh, and, and and be a part of what's happening up in Seattle with with the Inhabit Conference. Questions for today. What does the church mean to you? What is it? Right. How, how do you explain it, right? What? And is there any validity, right, to uh, not having a worship service, but having the church be something else? What do you think about that? Hmm? What's that? What's that mean? Is worship the central part of church. Is there still value in gathering in worship for churches? And what's that? What is that value? How would you describe theology of place? What does that mean? You know, we, we, we live in a culture now, especially in the States where most of our churches are commuter. Most of the people who go to that church don't live in the community in which that church resides. So what does theology of place mean in a culture like the U.S. where most people don't live where they worship? What's that mean? What do you, how would you describe 
culturally responsive business. You ever heard that? You ever heard that term before? What is a culturally responsive business? What does it look like? What questions do you ask if you want to be a culturally responsive business? Who do you hire? Right? What goes into the planning? What is uh, social capital? You ever think about social capital? What is it? How do you build it? Where does it come from? Who has social capital? What? How do you tap into social capital? Is it something you tap into? Is it something you build? What is that? That leads to this question around social media, right? There's a debate. And the debate is starting to grow on uh, whether you should be on social media uh, and uh, who is opting out of social media, right? There's, there's all kinds of debate. We should do a whole show on this because some are saying to us that uh, people in power, specifically a lot of powerful white men, are opting out of social media because it takes away their power. They're not the only voice. They can't control the room. Isn't that interesting? That's very, very interesting uh, when you think about it. Lo, 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 what do you think about that? Love to get your thoughts on that. And we're probably going to do a, a whole show on that. What about the, what about the term ABCD? Have you ever heard that? Do you know what asset-based community development is? How it works? What, what are the processes around it? And what does church in neighborhood look like now? What does a church in a neighborhood, active in a neighborhood, what does that look like? How does your church engage a neighborhood? Is your church a part of the neighborhood? You know, there's that, that question, right? If your church closed down today, would anybody living around it really care or notice, right? Those are our questions for today. We're going to be right back with our guest, Tim Sorens, and our producer, Andrew Morgan, giving a shout out. We'll be conducting this interview today. So listen up, folks. We'll be right back. This is Leroy Barber with the Sit Up Podcast. Listen, and let's be clear. You only get one chance, one opportunity, one request to appear, one moment to consider what you might hold dear, a few seconds to digest what might be coming near, a quick check of which direction you may want to steer. Maybe God is pro-choice. He gave each of us a will, a mind, a voice. And whether we will make statements, speak truth, or add to the noise is up to us. To take the dust we've been given. To treat our seconds like cents and watch how we spend them. To use our words like olive branches in the mouths of birds and watch where we send them. Take the negative thoughts we were taught. Take our wounded souls and hearts and let God mend them. Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. All right, welcome back into the Sit Up Podcast. And I am Andrew Morgan, the producer of the Sit Up Podcast. And right now, I have someone who I've witnessed uh, do some passionate things uh, for Christ. And so, can you uh, introduce yourself to everyone? I'm Tim Sorens, uh, the co founding director of the Parish Collective. 
co-founding director of the what is the parish collective parish collective is essentially a network of churches missional communities new monastic communities that have all said they want to be about god's dream in their particular places so they're they're place-based churches who are learning from one another so what what was it what what process did you have to go through to set something of this nature up well about 10 years ago I had been commissioned to start a church and was really passionate about not just trying to start a congregation where people came, but I was really most passionate about how, what does it mean to lead and pastor and grow a team that is present in the everyday life of this particular neighborhood? And how do I pastor an entire neighborhood and the systems that are in it and all of the people, not just get people to come to a church yeah. service. So how do you guys navigate around like the myth you're just for the neighborhood only and not the whole community? Well, I think at the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, it's, yeah. it is our collective presence in the neighborhood, which is either going to build trust and become valuable and uh, become an incredible asset or not. What encouraged you to, to really dive into to doing this? Because a lot of people look at the mission that you have and say that it's not really the church. It's kind of just like uh, an attribute or a parachurch. It's just something that's nice. But how, what got you involved with wanting to, to go into this? Well, uh, a whole lot, I suppose. The To, to take on the question of uh, whether it's a church or not, yeah. You know, we don't do this as much anymore because, uh, actually, my friend and colleague Paul would ask this a lot. Um, it's kind of a manipulative question, but everybody knows, everybody listening knows that if you ask, is the church the building of the people? What's the proper answer? It's the people. Right, right, right. Everybody knows that. But we would every now and then ask, if we were talking to pastors, well, then, like, where is your church on, say, a Tuesday morning? And they inevitably point to the building. Because our defaults are so strong. We think, wait, at the end of the day, that's actually what it is. It's our services, our programs. And uh, we feel like there's no future if we can't figure out how are we going to be a team within a particular place that's working on behalf of what God is up to in the neighborhood. That, that's where we see, like, how else are we going to be the church? Um, but our defaults are strong. So a lot of our work is identifying, connecting everyday people who are being the church quite brilliantly, quite courageously with incredible innovation, naming what they're doing and then trying to connect them with one another. Because a lot of the people, really what gave birth to the Parish Collective is this feeling like, I'm convinced God wants me and with kind of my team or my friends or my community to be about God's dream in my neighborhood, but it's hard and we feel alone. And we're, yeah. we're wondering whether or not this even matters. And our hunch has been that actually there is an invisible movement afoot. That when people who feel like they're alone discover they're not, there's magic there. So we want to try and grow that magic. And we actually think there is a growing movement all over certainly the Western world where we've been. But I actually think it's happening all over the world. You guys feel like you're a rebel up against, you know, uh, in, in the church culture? I used to feel more like a rebel, uh, but I don't, honestly, not so much anymore. And here's why. Uh, I feel like we've reached peak church spectacle. Uh, 
Okay. What I mean by that is like a lot of the old ideas are just proving not to be true at all. I mean, they're, they're not working. And so whether it be denominations or other churches, networks, I just feel like collectively right now in this moment in 2019, the imagination and practice of what the church is, is effectively up for grabs. So I'd say in the last, especially year or two or three, if we were seen as a little bit more rebellious, maybe in the past, now it's like, we're, we don't know what in the world to do. We don't know how to go about this. Do you have any ideas? So we asked my ideas because we've been walking in so many neighborhoods and seeing so many incredible people. So let's pull back and let's kind of go to focusing in a little bit on who you are. How did you get to a place where this is the type of leadership that, that you have? Well, uh, there's actually kind of an embarrassing story about that. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin and then just decided to go to seminary at the advice of a mentor. And the truth is, um, when I went to seminary, the embarrassing part is what was most exciting about the church in those days was like the rock star preacher. It was the person who could draw a big crowd and bring people uh, into the building and and I was enamored with that. I mean, there's probably a lot of ego in that, but also, I mean, people were trying to create an experience of the church for outsiders, and that's what I was excited about. But um, that got flipped upside down through, well, probably seminary, but also it kind of came to a head at this one time, actually, where I met Paul Sparks, who's the other co-founder, uh, director of the Parish Collective. Um, he had invited two missiologists to come speak, one of whom was a rock star preacher, Right. He was like one of the best speakers I've ever heard in my life. And I'll never forget, he is in the afternoon. He, this was 10 years ago now. But he was talking about how they were starting this new community that wanted to be about, this is my language, but God's dream in their neighborhood. And because he was somewhat well-known as a speaker, he decided he would not speak. He would not preach for the first couple of years of that community because that wasn't the game they were playing. They were trying to figure out how to be a team on behalf of God's renewal. And actually, his rhetorical gifts, drawing people from outside the neighborhood to hear a great sermon, was counterproductive to that attempt. And that, I, I, I nearly fell off my chair. Um, <laughs> and that sent me down the path of, well, how, how, do we, how do we lead at the neighborhood level in a different way? And so that's taken me uh, down paths of learning from lots and lots of different people. But it it almost always begins with listening. Who are some of the, the people of leadership that you draw inspiration from now? Well, what's most inspiring to me are everyday people and teams who are committing to figuring out a life together on behalf of God's renewal. And so for me, the most inspiring leaders are people that have been at this for a while, 10, 20, 30 years. They've learned how to reconcile difference. They've learned how to forgive each other. They've learned how to keep listening. They've learned how to create space. They've learned about different innovative practices from within the church, but also well beyond the church as they're engaging their neighborhood. Uh, so for me, the most inspiring people, I'd say, are leaders who have been figuring out how to be the church in the neighborhood for many years. Uh, but there's also both kind of intellectual and theological influences who have been talking about these ideas for a long, long time. So what are some of the ideas that you have brewing right now? What are some of the projects and things that you are up to 
that that's taking place in your neighborhood and your community? Oh, that's a great question. Well, um, I live in a neighborhood called South Park in Seattle, which is about three miles outside downtown, south end of town. And um, my wife and I have lived there for about four years. And initially we were thinking we would just try and find a, a local faith community to be a part of. And the truth is there's not one there that cares about the neighborhood. There are two congregations that are completely regional and they have, they're, they're, they're not to be found really anywhere in the neighborhood that we've seen at least. And so we felt like we needed help to start a new faith community. And um, we're taking kind of a crock pot approach to church planting, you could say. Like we, we don't ever plan on leaving. And so really what we're trying to do is develop a team of pretty committed followers of Jesus who are planning on staying in South Park, planning on wrestling through a way of life together that incorporates a common sense of mission and formation and relationship in that place. Um, but more practically, we, we started, this team started with um, a coffee shop. So we're all owners of it, um, as well as some other neighbors. And um, it's not a coffee shop church like one is the other, but it's the yeah. first venture to to join what, what God's up to in the neighborhood, it creates social capital and, and be a viable business. When you say social capital, give us a little bit of a definition uh, according to your standards. I would think of social capital as the density of trust within yeah. a neighborhood. Yeah. So the more people that know each other, the more gifts and assets that are seen and connected, uh, and the amount of belonging that is present within a neighborhood. So we wanted to start the coffee shop in addition to ha- providing local employment and having a beautiful space is to um, have th- the density of trust grow. When, you, when you've got something like a coffee shop, what comes from that? You know, like what, what are, what, what's been the, the benefits of having this coffee shop? Well, it's been amazing. I mean, one, just, I don't even work behind the bar very often. I'm, I mostly just, you know, work on my computer and have meetings there. But we've met, obviously, so many people. And these people in our neighborhood are incredible, like full of gifts and skills. And what's been really fun is working with our baristas to not just make really great coffee, but to know that part of their job is to make connections between neighbors. All, of, all our employees are neighbors, and all of the owners are neighbors, and the, the whole build-out was done by neighbors. And uh, so it really feels, it was kind of, the whole, the whole project is meant to be about the neighborhood. So do you employ as well as allow houseless neighbors to come into the facility? We don't have any, uh, we haven't hired anyone who's formerly houseless, but that's not true. Uh, we did, um, and he moved on. Uh, so yeah, we did have, uh, our, actually our number three employee was houseless um, and in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, he's since moved on, but, um, and that's, that's a good story. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, all, all of our employees are, are neighbors. The other thing is that, um, uh, while I'm white, my wife is Chilean right. and our neighborhood is about 40, 50% Latino, Latina and, um, creating a space in the neighborhood where people of color feel like it's theirs is of very high value. And so some of that has to do with who is working. Some of that has to do with ownership. Some of that has to do with uh, the kinds of events that we uh, put on in the evenings, uh, open mics, et cetera, et cetera. And that's for me, while I'm not a person of color, being able to see that happen has been an incredible gift. 
So I'm going to shift into something a little bit more personal on that same note. What has your experience been like being married to a person of color? <laughs> How long do you have? <laughs> um, it's been beautiful and challenging, uh, heartbreaking and illuminating. I'm, av- I'm obviously still you know, figuring this out. Marriage is hard enough, but the truth is there's not a lot of resources out there that I've found on intercultural marriages. The blind spots that I have, the inherent racism that I bring to everything, but also within my marriage, the um, family dynamics and family of origin dynamics are all quite marbled. And the truth is, I feel like there's not a whole lot. There's a lot of good marriage stuff out there. Yeah. There's not a lot out there on intercultural marriages. Well, you're a, you're an innovator. You're a person who brings resources. So are you saying that this is you're in one of your next ventures in the future that you're going to be a person who's going to bring some resources to this uh, to someone? Because there's going to be another guy just like you who's going to be like, man, I wish someone would have wrote the book. Or did the podcast or did something. So no pressure. No pressure. But I, uh, I definitely don't feel equipped to do it now. But I, but um, I, I do feel like there's a lot yeah. there. There's a lot there. Yeah. So I, I'm the type of person that will always try to pressure you. <laughs> and then say <laughs> I'm no getting pressure. that a little bit. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So with, with this integration of just like people of color, people of faith, how has it been for you maybe witnessing, living alongside, and just being around people who maybe don't have uh, faith or they're anti-religious or however you would put it? Well, for the most part, I have been fairly well trained in what some of your listeners, listeners might know of as asset-based community development. Okay. which uh, starts the, the starting place for that is instead of looking at the needs or the deficits of a person or a community, you look for the gifts and the skills what people can offer. And that has become a lens with which I view pretty much all of life. And so um, it's not always my default, but when you have the lens of what can you contribute, what do you have regardless of background, uh, I feel like, it's a better way to live and a better way to lead than looking at needs and deficits. Okay, that's good. So what's next? Like what is the big next for you? Uh, when you and I'm talking big picture vision for, and, and I'm asking this as a two-fold question, one for the Parish Collective and one for, uh, for you and what you're doing. Well, for the Parish Collective, we are... Um, I actually think at kind of a 2.0 stage right now. We've been around for about 10 years. And while we know a lot more people, we're really desperate to make more and more connections, both in person and online. We're being asked to do more and more training because we've been learning from people that have been doing this and want to offer that back. And we want to celebrate stories via conferences and, and things like that. And the reason for all that is I'm convinced that God is actually, this is somewhat bold language, but I actually think that God is refounding the church in the everyday life of the neighborhood right now. Mm. I'm quite convinced that 
10, 20, 30, 40, definitely 50 years from now, we'll look back at this era and see it as absolutely pivotal. So I want to give my life towards that end. The question has to begin with what is God doing out ahead of us in our actual neighborhoods? How do we follow the Spirit in that work? How do we form teams who are about that work? If we will ask those questions and learn from each other across places, I think we're going to be in for the ride of our lives. And I think our neighbors are desperate for it. Oh, that's good. So what about what about the coffee shop and the other things that you're doing on, on, on a personal level? What's the future? Well, uh, the coffee shop is off and going pretty well now. So both my wife and I and our team are, are discerning like our next ventures. So there's definitely um, our neighborhood is undergoing gentrification. There's a lot of ideas around um, getting involved, not just with advocacy, but in development. We want to start more small businesses in our neighborhood. There are um, There's more and more organizing to do. We want to create more spaces. We love that. There's talk of uh, an art center. Uh, I really would love to figure out a local impact investing fund where neighbors would have the capital to take their ideas to the next level. Uh, there's all kinds of opportunities around that. Um, and as a, at the, at the faith community, we're, we're brand new. And so the hope and prayer there is that our team, our kind of core team, both grows with more people, but also in, in, again, trust so that we can be inviting more and more people to follow the way of Jesus in South Park. All right. So as we wrap up, uh, one last question uh, related to the Parish Collective. If I'm listening to this, uh, how can I get involved? What areas, what cities are you involved in? Uh, How can I be an active supporter, member, or whatever I would have to do to be involved with the Parish Collective? Well, the best way to start is just go to www.parishcollective.org and you can actually, whether you use Facebook or you sign in, you can actually map where either you live or if, if you want to put where your church building is, whatever neighborhood you're trying to take holistic responsibility for. It'll plop down and then from there, you'll be able to collaborate if you want to with all kinds of other people. And there are also, we started with a, a conference called the Inhabit Conference about nine years ago. That's every April in Seattle. But we decided instead of having that be our only convening every year for all of North America, we're starting new conferences all over. So they're in the UK, in San Diego, in Cincinnati, in, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, they're online, but we're starting more and more and more conferences to tell the stories of what people are doing. All right. I'm looking forward. Regina and I will be there this April. Can't wait. So. Uh, we're looking forward to it. Thank you for joining us on the Sit Up Podcast. We really enjoyed this interview, man. Appreciate it, Andrew. Let's begin. 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 Let's begin, let's begin, let's begin, let's begin. Let's begin.